You're listening to The Doctor's Companion, brought to you by InStockTrades.com and DCBService.com. To another episode of the Doctor's Companion. I'm Scott Corelli. And I'm Matt Smith, but not that Matt Smith. And we're from MindRobber.net, the home site of MindRobber Productions, where we talk about all the things on podcasts like this one, The Doctor's Companion, where we talk about Doctor Who, The Mind Robbers Versus, where we pick a show like Justice League Unlimited, and we talk about it episode by episode. Uh, and then that's also where you can find our in-depth movie reviews for films that are currently in theaters, like Thor The Dark World, and upcoming uh, next week, early next week, uh, The Hunger Games Catching Fire. And then there's our flagship podcast, The Mind Robbers, where we talk about uh, everything else. If you like our shows, you should review them on iTunes. If you have questions, comments, concerns, uh, email those to us, podcast at mindrobber.net. If you want to start a discussion, head over to the comments section to the post on the website for this episode. Leave a comment. Let everyone know what you're thinking. Most importantly, uh, tell your friends about the show. We uh, we're we're wrapping up our uh, our our celebration of the uh, of the fiftieth anniversary of Doctor Who. Um, we've reached the second Doctor in our countdown, um, and uh, yeah, <laughs> we're <laughs> I'm I'm surprised that we got here already. Like it just it doesn't feel like that long ago that we were like, oh yeah, we're gonna be doing this thing, and it looked all so overwhelming, and eh, it wasn't so bad, um, <laughs> but. <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, so, uh, it helps that the stories were good. Um, <laughs> yes, it yeah. does. Yeah, it does. Um, so, uh, second doctor story, uh, we want to do something special and luckily, uh, BBC provided that for us, um, by releasing, <laughs> releasing previously, uh, previously missing episodes that were found in Africa of all places, um, and uh, we're going to talk about the enemy of the world. Um, man, the enemy <laughs> of the world. Uh, what's the background and significance uh, for enemy of the world? Enemy of the world. Uh, yeah, as, as you said, I think that currently the most significant thing about it is that it was discovered. Um, it this exists. Is, yeah, yeah, finally. Uh, <laughs> thank God. Um, this is one of two stories that was recently revealed by the BBC to have been discovered in Africa, like you said. The other was the enemy, or not enemy, but uh, Web of Fear, which is the story well, immediately following this one. Right. Um, which makes, it makes me, when, when are we scheduled to cover that on the show? Ages from now. Yeah, Ages. I'm going to be watching that soon, because um, <laughs> the hell with the ending to this story. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the next and, and actually funny story really just to diverge web of fear episode one kind clearly like picks up a little bit from where this ends like the la- the first couple minutes are definitely clean up from this story um 
Mm-hmm. So we're all aware. Uh, but yeah, this was recently discovered. Um, the reason we're talking about it, as I've been saying, is all we're talking about writers. Um, this is written by David Whitaker, uh, who I think is one of the most important writers in the classic series, probably, and one of the three best writers of the classic series, uh, along with Robert Holmes and then Pick Your Poison. Um uh, Whitaker is the one who, more than anything, uh, set up the design of the show. He was the wor- he was the first script editor. He saw- oversaw the show up through uh, Dalek's uh, Dalek Invasion of Earth. Uh, he wrote The Rescue. He wrote uh, Power of the Daleks. So, like, he's the one who wrote the first post regeneration story, um, and arguably the greatest Dalek story of all time. Uh, he wrote evil of the world or not evil of the world. He wrote evil of the Daleks, which I mean, you've seen is amazing. Um, <laughs> he, that's, that's the Joyride one, right? Uh, Joyride one. Joyride. Joy no, Dal- joy- Dalek invasion of earth is Joyride. Um, Oh, evil of the Daleks is the one with, um, uh, Dalek emperor at the end. Um, Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, crazy story. Um, yeah, but David Whitaker, if you go and read uh, Philip Sandifer, who I'm a big, big fan of, uh, is is a is like a Whitaker fanboy and brings up a lot of interesting points about how Whitaker is really key to the development of Doctor Who, and he's a mad alchemist and all sorts of crazy things like that. It's kind of nuts. Um, and I have a lot to say about him when we talk about this more. Um, but we're talking about this because it's David Whitaker. Enemy of the World is also interesting because it's the middle story of the fifth season, where every story in this season is a base under siege story from Tomb of the Cybermen, Abominable Snowmen, Ice Warriors, and then the other side of this Web of Fear, Fury from the Deep, and The Wheel in Space. All of them are bases under siege, except for this story. Um, this is the one story in this entire season that doesn't follow that formula. Um, so it's, it's, it's important for that. It's also the first story to be b- directed by Barry Letts. So this is Barry Letts. Letts' stamp on Doctor Who. Letts would, of course, go on to produce the entire John Pertwee era. Um, So you have a really important player in Doctor Who coming in here for the first time and kind of uh, enhancing his vision on the thing. He was He's actually the guy who was responsible for the helicopter chase scene at the beginning of episode one. Um, He was the one who was like, let's just do that. And uh, they were like, okay, so Barry Letts got to shoot a helicopter chase scene, which is weird considering that none of the Pertwee era ever has a helicopter fa- chase scene. Uh, LOL. Um, uh, so there's that. And then this is also interesting because this is the final story to be produced by Innes Lloyd. Innes Lloyd is the uh, producer who took over after John Wiles, who took over after Verity Lambert. Uh, Innes Lloyd is the guy who oversaw the transition from William Hartnell to Patrick Troughton. He's the one who came up with the base under siege idea as a way of cheaply producing stories. Um, and this is it for him after this Peter Bryant, who is his script editor, will take over um, as producer starting with The Web of Fear. And Derek Sherwin will take over as script editor after this. Um, so it's kind of like Doctor Who in transition in a lot of ways. Uh, and I think that's really interesting, uh, honestly, considering that it's such an interesting thing. Oh, and finally, this is the one where Patrick Troughton plays the bad guy. Um much like The Massacre, which is a first Doctor story, uh, David Whitaker's brief when he was handed the storyline because he was asked to return and write something, uh, was asked to write a story in which Patrick Troughton would play the evil uh, villain of the piece as a way of just like giving Troughton something new to do, something interesting to do. Uh, and Whitaker came up with this story based on that. So 
it's famous for that reason because it's such a weird idea to have and not a, and not one that I wouldn't that I don't welcome openly. It was widely it was a story why very much looking forward to based purely on that premise. Uh and I think that that's interesting. So that's kind of where all of this goes. Uh and it's interesting to see the show in time of transition. Uh so yeah, Enemy of the World. Woo. All right. Well, uh, before we talk about it, I want to remind you that today's episode is brought to you by DCBService.com. And DCBS is the site that lets you pre-order all your monthly comic book statues, action figures, anything you can get from a local comic book shop. You place your orders two to three months in advance with monthly discount specials up to 75% off and regular discounts of 40% off. 40 off. Ship as often as you like with orders as large or small as you like. You only pay six ninety five in flat rate shipping every time something goes out. So thanks to DCBService.com. Um, okay, so the enemy of the world, uh, here's the thing about this. Um, it's so, it's so great that this story exists. Um, (laughs) because this is hands down in my, probably, it's at least in my top five, if not my top three, uh, Trouton stories. Um, it is ridiculous i mean look uh, racist undertones aside um with you know the brown face and the stereotype and everything look it was the 60s what can you do um (laughs) it's a different time um but but that aside like patrick Troughton puts in an incredible performance to the point where he is nearly unrecognizable, but still completely recognizable as himself. Like it's the weirdest thing. Um, but it's so his, 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 his performance in this as the villain is just so ludicrously good. It made me realize how good of an actor Patrick Troughton is. Um, because, you know, I'd only ever seen him play the doctor before and I love him as the doctor, but seeing him play a completely different character in this with a completely different accent and and like just the way he walks is different, the way his mannerisms are different, everything like Patrick Troughton is a straight up character actor. Um, and you don't know it until you see this episode. Uh, it is unbelievable. And it's just cool, like, having a Doctor Who story that's just, like, it takes place in the future, but it's kind of, like, the not-so-distant future. And you have Patrick Troughton playing this Mexican dictator. And, like, all of that stuff is, like, I'm just watching this and I'm waiting for the sci-fi thing to show up. And I'm, like, you know, three and a half episodes into this. (laughs) And I'm just like, okay, yeah, the sci-fi thing's not happening. Like, this is just what the story is. We've just, you know, it's a Mexican dictator and you know, whatever. Like, well, that's good. I like that. That's cool. Like, I was just like, what a, what a, what a cool way of doing a Doctor Who story that has no sci-fi elements whatsoever. That's really cool. And then in episode four, out of nowhere, <laughs> the Mexican dicta- dictator gets into this little pod. And then goes down this tunnel and comes out the other side. He's like miles below the earth. Comes out the other side and there's all these people 
And they're just like, hey, uh, so uh, is it all cleared up out there or can we come up now or what's going on? He's like, no, 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 you can't come up. And I'm just like, what is happening? Who are these people? <laughs> oh, my God. He's just he's just hoarding people underground, telling him telling them that uh, a, a nuke went off and that they can't come up there because of the radioactivity. And he's pretending that he has radio radiation sickness, even though he doesn't. And it's just like. It's ridiculous. And then things get nuts. And things were nuts before that. But, the like, seriously, <laughs> like, the rest of episode four and then episode five and six are just insane. Um, just insane. And I love uh, – who's that other guy? Like, the, 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 the other villain? Uh, the Weasley guy? Love him. Uh, oh, uh, yes, Benick? Yes, Benick. Oh, my God. So good. Uh, just so, so <laughs> weaselly and wonderful. His pants are a little too tight. A uh, little too tight. Uh, reveals a lot of things that I don't – I didn't really want to know about the guy. Uh, but there they are uh, in all their glory. Um, <laughs> but I, uh, I, I loved this to pieces. Like this was so good. Uh, and And the thing is – about this, and I've I've noticed this with David Whitaker stories. It's like when you hear us. I'm assuming when our listeners hear us say this was so good, they take it with a grain of salt. In that they're like, oh, but what they really mean is this is so good for classic Who, which has its own barometer of good and bad. And usually, I would I would agree with you. But I'd say that this is one of the exceptions where this is just good regardless. This is so good. Mm. So many phenomenal twists and turns. Uh, Like all the way to the bitter end. And man, what a bitter (laughs) end. But like all the way to the bitter end, there's still twists and turns happening. Um, And like when you think this story is over, it's not over. (laughs) <laughs> and it's just <laughs> oh it's so good it's so good um like i wouldn't be surprised after i get through all of all of patrick Troughton. like i would not be surprised if this wasn't my favorite of his stories um mm. it's so good it's impossibly <laughs> good I, which i'm utterly shocked by not because i think it's good because i'll get to that in a second but because um uh, mind robber man. no i know like, i i said after after i get through all of them like i've seen the mind robber but i do need to watch it again for the show when we cover it and mm-hmm. then i'll and then i'll mm-hmm. i'll know then but i do feel like even the mind robber which i love i don't think it's it's paced quite as well as this one is mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. this one is paced so well so ridiculously yes. well yeah, uh, it's six um, episodes. You don't uh, even feel it. Yeah, uh, which I can't wait to talk about. Um, yeah, no, this is this is an interesting experience for me because I listened to this story twice, and the first time I listened to it, I was like, "This is quite good." And then when I watched it again for the blog, I was kind of blown away by it, um, even with episodes one, two, four, five, and six missing. Um, because I thought it was really remarkable and interesting because like, this is, I feel like it's a story that's forgotten or not really talked about. Um, not anymore because it's found, but 
reading the things that I do, because I read a couple of things that people say about the classic series, um, the two the two people, or the two groups of people that I found that really, really like this story uh, were Robert Sherman and Toby Haydoken running through corridors, or they were just blown away by it. They were like, this is nuts. Um, and then Philip Sandifer, who was like on a Whitaker high and saw this and was just gobsmacked by it and had a lot of thoughts about it. And I've read both of those people's like accounts of the story several times, and I'm just uh, totally surprised by it. But what's funny is like, it's one thing to have experienced it that way, but it's another, and, and, and it's, it's kind of lost in translation because those fellows all watched the reconstructions. Um, and it's funny because people just go, oh, the confrontation between Salamander and, and the Doctor at the end is not great. Like, it's very abrupt. Watching it, it is not. Um, it is thrilling yeah. beyond anything that you could possibly imagine it yeah. being. Um, and when I finished it, like, I was just breathless. I was out of breath. Like, I couldn't handle it. It was one of the most amazing who experiences I've had in quite some time. Um which I loved, and I I I can't in good conscience put this above any of the four Patrick Trotton stories that I consider to be better than this, um, which would be Power of the Daleks, Evil of the Daleks, War Games, and Mind Robber. I think that all four of those are better than this, but that doesn't mean that I don't think that this is good, because this, I mean, I was going through my rankings, and I was like, when I finished this story, I was going through my rankings, and I was just like, this is not on my top 20, that's insane. Um, that's nuts because this is a top 20 story of all time. Oh yeah. Um, for me, uh, at least in terms of classic series. And it's because of all the things you said, because Troughton is amazing in this. Um, he is utterly, utterly, utterly brilliant. Um, but also I think the script by David Whitaker is unparalleled. That guy is so far ahead of any doctor who writer up until Robert Holmes that it's just not fair. Um, because the structure of this is just ludicrous. Like, it's just super duper ludicrous. And it's so smartly written. And it's so clever. And it's so fun. And it's action-packed. And it's thrilling. Um, utterly, utterly thrilling. Uh, this is, this is, um, it's a masterpiece. It is a, it is a masterpiece. And one of the great Patrick Troughton stories. And, I mean, I don't love all of Troughton's stories. He has, good, God knows some of the worst Doctor Who is Troughton. The Dominators, like, it does not get worse than the Dominators. But when Troughton's era is good, it is untouchable. Like, it is just untouchable. Because, uh, it's funny, because three of those five stories are Whitaker that I mentioned. Um... But it's just so good. Like, it's just such a good story. And I know that I keep saying that, but I, oh, it was, it was, it is, it is so far exceeding every wildest expectation. And it's funny because, uh, like, I remember the twist that's halfway through episode four when Salamander goes into the, into the underground base, uh, the underground bunker where all the normal people are, um, all the people who have normal names like Colin and Mary, um, as pointed out by Robert Sherman, they're normal British white people. Um, as opposed to the like international story that is this story called enemy of the world. Um, and I remember just being like, yeah, that was pretty cool. But watching it, like watching Salamander descend into that bunker is the weirdest thing. Oh, it's like, so it is, weird. It's the weirdest it thing. Because you're like, oh, yeah, I kind of, yeah, I kind of know what this is. And all of a sudden you're just like, 
I didn't know. I had like I had no idea what was going on. And as Sandifer points out, like you're watching this story that's like three like for and for the first like three episodes you're like oh so this is the story of this guy who's an evil dictator who's uh needs to be brought down and it's kind of like a james bond story it's an it's an international espionage story um and we're kind of ahead of the story right and then all of a sudden like you have that narrative and then salamander is so good that he just walks right out of that narrative like he just walks he walks out of it that's actually what happens and all of a sudden this becomes just this ridiculously global story and the title enemy of the world sounds really melodramatic but when you think about it salamander is friend to no one there's no one in the story who he's actually friend to everyone is his enemy and he's just so far ahead of everyone that it's honestly one of the greatest doctor who villains of all time um and i believe that for a number of reasons um but I was I was blown away by this. I was blown away. And I was like, yeah, this is a really great story. No, this is this is one of the greatest Doctor Who finds in terms of missing episodes, um, along with the Mind Robber. Or not the Mind Robber, but yeah, sure, the Mind Robber, but also the War Game. Um <sighs> What it is, you know? Like <laughs> what it is. I mean, I have a lot of bullet points, but if you haven't seen this, like, if you haven't seen this and you want to see Patrick Troughton, like, you should. Um, mm-hmm. If you like Classic Who and you haven't seen this, well, now it exists, so you don't have an ex- you don't have an excuse. And you will be surprised and blown away, and watching it again only makes it better. Like, it only makes it better because of how impossibly good the structure is. Um, and looking at the structure and the cliffhangers, which are all thinker cliffhangers, which you never see. Um, and just leave you on the edge of your seat, just like, <gasps> what's going to happen next? Um, yeah. Oh man. Oh man. Oh man. Oh man. Mm-hmm. This is brilliant. Um, and I'm so glad you liked it. I mean, oh. I knew that you would, but like, I'm so glad you liked it as much as I did. Um, oh, it's so ridiculously good. <laughs> it's so ridiculously good. I mean, it's absurdly good. Yeah. And, uh, I watched this, um, I watched this two episodes at a time over like three days. Mm-hmm. And uh, it played really well that way because, like, I got to the end and I wanted to watch the next one. And I was like, oh, man, this is going to be good. Because um, every time it left on a cliffhanger that was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so good. Yeah. Oh, like, who thought, like, the first cliffhanger? The first cliffhanger is literally, like, uh, there's this guy named Giles Kent. And Giles Kent walks like fi- realizes that the doctor looks like Salamander, and he and and the doctor's just like, I need three weeks to pull this off. I need three weeks to look like Salamander and to act like him and to pick up his accent. And then Kent goes, uh, I called Salamander. I called Salamander's chief of security. You have five minutes. And the doctor's just like, What? And he's just like, Oh nope, you have two minutes. That was that knock at the door. So he throws the doctor into a closet, and the doctor literally redresses like salamander just quickly reparts his hair walks out and then just starts talking to the chief of security and the chief of security is like what what the hell's going on and then the doctor says what are you doing here cut to credits now that sounds like it doesn't work because it just kind of ends on this weird beat but it is so filled with tension and just like (gasps) that there are no words you're just like i can't believe what's gonna happen like i just don't know what's gonna happen and then you have to keep watching it um mm-hmm. and and it's the same for like the third one where at the end of the third episode the security chief walks up to salamander for real 
and just goes, there was another one who looked just like you. And Salamander's just like, what? And then it cuts to credits. And now that doesn't sound like it works. But the reason it works is because it's just like, there's this plot to overthrow Salamander. And Salamander now knows that there's a conspiracy against him. And it's just like, oh no. And it's awesome. Um, It's so awesome. And oh my god. Like, oh my god. You know what I was thinking the whole time I was watching this? The Hmm. whole time I was watching this, I was like, man, what a missed opportunity that... Patrick Trout never played an Indiana Jones villain. <laughs> oh, that would have been so good. <laughs> oh, that would have been so good. Troughton is like an evil Nazi. Oh, uh, that's great. Oh, that's great. Um, yeah. And I, oh, and everything like, and the thing about it is like the reason why I love Whitaker as a writer is because he's so smart. Like he's just a smart guy. There's a really clever bit that I love where um, uh, she just like there. Salamander has this food taster who is basically a poison taster, and like the clever line where where Salamander's just like she used to be hungry, now she's not hungry anymore because she doesn't want to die. Um, the food taster also throws in a line to Victoria where she's just like, "You could taste food with me," and like it's just kind of like really dark and like just like this ooh kind of way. Um, uh-huh. I don't know if that makes sense, but like all those, there's all these little touches to the, to the script where it's not just working on a macro level. Like, it's not just like, oh, so Salamander is this, is this guy who's got this plan to take over the world. And the plan is so much bigger than all that because it involves one of the craziest twists I've ever seen in Doctor Who. It's also like working just like within little touches of dialogue like that. And it's so ex- expertly crafted that I, I'm just so impressed. Like the Yeti joke. Yeah. Oh, God, that Yeti joke is amazing. Uh, just, it's not even that the joke is that good. It's Patrick Troughton's performance of the Yeti joke is my favorite thing. <laughs> this, we'll just take the spare Yeti. Spare Yeti! <laughs> It's just, and then knowing what the next story is, it makes it that much funnier. <laughs> Where the doctor's just like, why are there Yeti? Like, it's, yeah. Oh, oh, it's so good. Oh, it's so uh, good. And like, I mean, and not only that, but all the characters are really good too. Like, yeah, I mean. Benick is a great example where Benick is just like, I'm going to just chew the scenery. Like Milton Johns is just like, I got this. I'm going to chew the scenery. But you also have like, Griffin, who's in one episode, and I mean, everyone goes to Griffin because Griffin was the the guy. The third episode was the only one that used to exist, and Griffin is only in the third episode. And Griffin is the chef, and so everyone would just be like, "Oh, Griffin the chef is wonderful." Griffin the chef is only in one episode, and he just crushes every scene by just being witty, sardonic, and just like, "I re- I'm just here to pay the bills. I'm just here yeah. to feed my family. Don't anyone get mad at me." <laughs> He's just constantly cutting the crossfire. Yeah. Oh, oh, it's so good. <laughs> oh, he's he he is he was great. Yeah. I was sad that he didn't come back, but kind of glad cuz nothing would top that kitchen scene. <laughs> he's just, she's just like she he's like, "Oh, uh you got any recipes?" and she's like, "Yeah." And she starts spitting off this recipe. He's like, "Yeah, that's great. Go peel those potatoes." <laughs> Get out of my face. I'm the chef. <laughs> so awesome. 
<laughs> and he's just like, I just work here. Like, that's his whole shtick. It's just like, I, j- I just work here. And you have like... Yeah. Zoe, not Zoe, but Jamie and Victoria, just in the in, in the midst of this like international like espionage conspiracy story, and Griffin's just like, guys, come on, like I don't <laughs> care, like I just I don't care because I'm gonna be cooking food anyways. I don't care. Like, is is Victoria like the companion that sort of got screwed the most with the uh, with the missing episodes because I feel like I haven't seen much of her uh no uh Ben and Polly are easily the most screwed um okay well all right yeah Ben and Polly I forget about them because they don't exist <laughs> yeah uh Ben and Polly let me see what exists with Ben and Polly Ben and Polly have uh the, the the war machines exist smugglers is four that don't exist 10th planet has one that doesn't exist power Highlanders uh macro terror and uh a bunch of the faceless ones don't exist um so like i think of the ones that, of the store of the episodes that they did there's one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven that exist maybe out of like the 40-ish episodes that they did like wow yeah so that's rough yeah they got screwed most of all um but there aren't that many Victoria ones either, are there? No, no. Victoria, okay, I didn't like, think so. Yeah, Victoria has, like, most of Evil is missing. She has Tomb of the Cybermen. And then she has this, and now she has Web of Fear, which is really good. But Fury, which is her last story, is missing. Um, and then Ice Warriors is missing, like, two episodes. And Abominable Snowman is missing, like, five episodes. So she definitely got screwed. But, like, yeah, not as screwed as Ben and Polly. But it is the sort of thing where... When you see Victoria, it's weird. Like, it's weird to see Victoria because you always It think, is because I, I forget about her because I just think of Jamie and Zoe. Yeah, which is the most iconic um, yeah. because it's the one that exists the most. And those are the ones where all the good stories are. Um, well, and it's most iconic because they're so – it's such a perfect trio, yeah. the three of them. Yeah, definitely. Uh, because because uh, Jamie and Zoe are the opposite – opposite people Mm -hmm. like it's 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 glorious like it's perfect yeah definitely definitely whereas whereas jamie and victoria like they don't come from the same era but they come from the same they they both come from the past yeah yeah uh so it's it's like it there's less of a uh miscommunication there Mm -hmm. between the two of them and victoria has a tendency to be a peril monkey which is really bad um you know, right. if you think about the stories that she's in, quite often she'll just be a shrieking mess. Um, right. Which, which is, is great for Jamie because he loves that stuff. But <laughs> yeah, he, he loves that's the women definitely who his don't, kind of woman. Yeah, yeah. That's the, the women who don't do good things is is the Jamie. Like Jamie loves his damsels. Um, yeah, yeah, he does. And I feel like I feel like Victoria here. Like Victoria's not bad here but i can't think of a lot that she actually does and it doesn't help that she's missing from episode like four and i think five um because mm-hmm. they're, they're they were written out because they needed a holiday um but like it she doesn't really do a lot um when you think about the things that happen you're more you're more likely to remember jamie uh doing the act where he rescues salamander from a bomb than you are about victoria sitting on a park bench um See, I'm actually I, – I think she was more memorable than Jamie in this. I think I think Jamie has – I mean Jamie has that, that opening that, – that, or not opening scene, but that scene between him and, uh, and, and Salamander where he gets the job. Um, yes. But, but 
Victoria also has the amazing kitchen scene, and then, and then the episode where everybody has poison. <laughs> <laughs> the guy steals her salt off the tray, and she gets she gets so befuddled because she thought she did the good, a good job. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of wonderful, and and it's and it's wonderful in a way of like, oh right, Victoria is supposed to be like a, a kid, yes, kind of way, yeah. Um, Whereas, like, most of the time it just seems very damselly. Like, there it just felt very innocent. Yeah. Uh, of, of of just a girl who doesn't know what she's doing. Yeah. I, I will agree that it is some of the best Victoria that I've seen. Um, I would argue that some of the best Victoria is actually Fury from the Deep as well. Um, but this this is definitely, like, a good use of Victoria, like you said, where it, she is written much younger. Like, and I know that Deborah Watling is, like, older than Victoria is. But, you know... The opening image of Victoria is her trapped in a room in Evil of the Daleks where she's basically just, like, looking at a bird (laughs) and needs to be rescued. And that's not, like, that's not a great image for your companion. But she is good. She is well used here. I just, for some reason, I feel like I remember Jamie. Mostly because I, I don't know, I guess I remember I, that was my focus in issue in episode three, I suppose. But I mean, it's oh God, it's such a ridiculously good story. Like it's, it's unbelievable and intense as anything else. Like there's just so much tension undergoing from episode one through the end where you're just like, what's going to happen? Like what is going to happen? And watching it slowly like devolve where you're just like Salamander's ahead of everything. And then Salamander starts to get sloppy and watching his house of cards fall in episode six is not tragic. Just really intense. Um, yeah, really intense. And Oh, it's so exciting. Um, so, so exciting. Um, and I don't know. It sounded like you didn't love the end, I suppose. Or you said something about the end that made me just go, did you No, like- I love the end. Oh, okay. I love the end. It just makes me need Web of Fear right now. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. It was a compliment. Okay, good. Yeah, no, I love the end. What a dark ending, too. Such a dark ending. Um- like... It's just, it was like David Whitaker was like, oh, yeah, I guess we can't keep this guy around, huh? Yeah. We can't keep a Dr. Twin around. You can't. And what's, well, here's the craziest thing. And this is a Sandifer thing. And I'm blatantly, like, just telling you something that Sandifer pointed out that I never would have realized. But, and it's, and it's lost on, like, you and I because we haven't watched the show out of order. But... Up to this point, the only people who are allowed in the TARDIS are the Doctor and his companions. No one else has actually been in the TARDIS at all. In fact, if you look at the web planet, which I know you haven't seen, the Zarbi are actually not allowed in the TARDIS. It seems like there's an invisible force field keeping them out. Salamander's the first guy who isn't that to break into the TARDIS, which, like is an element that is introduced in the Whitaker run. So Whitaker is aware of something like that and is the guy who kind of created that the TARDIS is a living sentient being in like edge of destruction. Salamander gets in, which is nuts. Like, and see, it's almost as if Salamander is tricking the TARDIS on top of everyone else. Yeah. And the TARDIS is actually fooled by it, which is, yeah. And then the TARDIS throws him out. Yeah. 
just oh god it's so good um if you think about it in terms of the tardis being alive and him tricking the tardis like that makes that scene even better because the tardis just dumps him into the vortex yeah and it's the one thing that could defeat salamander like where the doctor has this evil dark side twin um the only thing that manages to save the doctor as an evil of the daleks is the tardis because the tardis has his back and just manages to get him out and flush him into a hell that no one else could know how many how many people have died by vortex it's not a lot like salamander gets a really rare death and it's a stunning death and when you get to the end you're just like oh like you just feel like you can breathe again it's wonderfully perverse like wonderfully wonderfully perverse and stunningly good um stunningly stunningly good. good um God. What a, what a story! Like what a story! Um, I I I've I've been thinking about nothing else for the last couple of days, just in terms of just wow, like wow. And I was so happy when you got to the twist last night, and and I got a text from you that was just like, "What is happening?" <laughs> oh, I couldn't handle it, man. I didn't know what was. I was just like, "What? What? Well, where's he going?" <laughs> Turning the earth into a convertible? Is that what's going on right now? <laughs> He's going to meet a Dalek down there. They're going to go cruise around the universe for chicks. <laughs> One lone. I'll be honest. I'd watch that show. Oh, I'd totally watch that show. Uh, Trouton as a, as a, as a, as a Mexican uh, playboy. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally in for it. Um, I don't always cruise around the universe, but when I do, I do it with a with a dollar. Dollicanium brought to you by. <laughs> Every everyone everyone who hasn't seen the story should absolutely go watch it. This is unbelievable. Um, yeah, it's all on iTunes. Yeah, it is, and at a reasonable price for six episodes and six episodes of like some of the best Doctor Who that's ever been made. Yeah, yeah. Ugh. So good. There's there's nothing like good Troughton. And I know that I was saying I was thinking that, but there's like when Troughton when the Troughton era is good, just in that like super yes. sexy sixties way. Yes. There's nothing like it. Well, like, that's the other thing too about this, is like Barry Lett's directing this and then seeing what the John Pertwee era is, it's like, oh yeah. <laughs> that makes so much sense. <laughs> oh, so this- much. This just straight up feels like a John Pertwee story. Yeah. Through the through the lens of, of Patrick Troughton. Yeah. Uh it's it's oh my god, it's stellar. Like, could you imagine if they had made a sequel to this where where Salamander comes back for revenge through the time vortex and it's just Patrick Troughton versus John Pertwee? Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. Patrick Troughton comes in just riding a TARDIS like it's a horse. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Oh. Oh, man. No, the master just goes and finds him and brings him. <laughs> so it's just it's just Troughton and Delgado. Oh, just, that's nice. Just teaming up and trolling John Furley. <laughs> And then Salamander stabs the master in the back of the master's like, what? He's just like, really? Come on. I had people <laughs> buried in the earth. <laughs> oh, man. 
God, like, and and that's the thing about Salamander is like not just not only is he like trying to take over the world, like you see him and you're like, oh, you're totally gonna take over the world. Like he's taking over the world through natural disasters and like a friend who like he can't like the only person he trusted with this uh, underground bunker nonsense, Giles Kent, who's been in the story the whole time, and if you watch it again, clearly a bad guy, like clearly a bad guy all the way to the very end where Kent is like, I'm going to betray Salamander and Salamander's just like, dude, come on. Like I've been ahead of everyone this whole time. Do you think I can't like beat you right now? And Oh goodness. Oh goodness. Is it good? Um, man. Uh, so good. All right. So that's enemy of the world. Before we continue, I want to remind you that today's episode is brought to you by InStockTrades.com, where you can purchase any paperback, hardcover, omnibus, or absolute edition at 35 to 45% off, plus new release specials at 50% off every week. And remember, all orders over $50 get free shipping. So thanks to InStockTrades.com. Next time, we're going to wrap up our countdown to the 50th anniversary special with the first Doctor and the first Doctor Who story ever. Yep. An unearthly child. Uh, so we're going to talk about that along with the, uh, the Doctor Who, uh, Doctor Who biopic thing scripted by Mark Gatiss, An Adventure in Space and Time. Yep. Which is about the creation of Doctor Who as a show. Um, so we're going to be talking about that as well. Which Uh, Ian Levine on Twitter called the, arguably the greatest piece of drama ever released. Of course, he's my favorite thing. He's just like I've never seen a better drama anything. I love him. Uh, It's getting good reviews, which I'm really excited about. Given that, no, I'm I'm glad that it's getting good reviews. Like it's just uh, Ian Levine. I love Ian Um, Levine so much. All right, Uh, Unearthly Child, Adventure in Space and Time, good stuff coming to you. Tomorrow, tomorrow, <laughs> um, and uh, that's 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 it. Uh, in the meantime, you can you can follow us on Twitter, twittercom Corelli's where you can find me. Also, Scott Commentary, uh, where you won't really find anything for a while, um, but that's where I usually live tweet things if I'm going to do that sort of thing. Matt, uh, you can find me on Twitter, twittercom Gungan, and also my other Twitter account, twittercom Commentary, where I live tweet things sometimes, but not for a while. Probably not till December. Uh, when God knows what's going to happen. Um, oh, I had one more thing. Oh, that's right. Classicalcalibrate.plexpot.com. <laughs> yeah, that thing. Yeah, that thing. Uh, where Just reviewed... that thing that you put like five years of your life into. Yeah, that thing. Um, so much time. Uh, where you can find my review of Enemy of the World. Um, and I highly recommend that uh, because it's really great. Uh, and you can see all the old, poorly done screen caps. Um, which, I mean, they're not. They're just poorly done because they're reconstruction. So... Uh, I started, I'll be honest with you. I was do. I was watching this and I was trying to screen cap it as I went. And then I realized that I, I stopped at episode three cause I'd already gotten screen caps for episode three. And then I remembered that like I was halfway through episode five and I was like, oh, that's right. I was going to do that. Wasn't I? <laughs> and then I stopped. So I have to screen cap it at some point <laughs> just to have him. <laughs> nice. Sound like a crazy person. Okay. Yes. All right. Well, uh, we'll be back tomorrow with William Hartnell and Unearthly Child and the story of Doctor Who in an adventure in space and time. Bye. Bye, guys. <laughs>